It's funny when you start to learn about something, you start to recognize that thing in your life. And it's like all things you start, you know, Tony Robbins preaches that. I won't get into that concept, but you guys understand what I'm talking about. I started to recognize opportunities for funds in my life. So I was at college at the time. I was working an internship and starting to start a company. At that company I was working at, I had an idea for a fund. We could, the clients that were coming through this company needed financing. I thought we could give them a financing product. We could make a debt vehicle and, and give them debt. I, I pitched the I pitched the founders of the company, they loved it. I pitched my dad, he loved it. We started to put this fund together, all the pieces together, and I'm 22 years old at the time. And we got the structure of the fund put together. And then I hit this wall, I was like, crap. Now I gotta raise money. Hey, what is going on everybody? Welcome back to the Self Storage Income Podcast. Today we have a special episode lined up because today we're talking about raising capital. Raising capital is a huge part of any investment and it's absolutely essential. And it's something that has a lot of nuances involved that you might not be aware of either starting out or even if you've done multiple funds before or syndications or hedge funds. There's so many ways to do a deal and to raise capital that it doesn't just stop with one. So today we have a special guest, Bridger Pennington. He's helped over 20,000 students get started in funds, and he's the co-founder of Fund Launch, and he's the host of the Investment Fund Secrets podcast. And there's just a lot of insights in today's episode that you're not going to want to miss. But first things first. We have our live event coming up here in just a couple weeks, the self-storage income live event. It's September 20th through the 23rd in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. If you haven't been to one of these before, definitely come. Come meet the team. Come meet AJ and Connor. We'd love to say hi. And for those of you who don't know, Forge Building Company is a company that we personally contract and use all the time, and they're a sponsor of this podcast, but they're offering a free consultation and a complimentary site layout on your development project. It's an offer they're doing exclusively for our podcast listeners, so definitely be sure to jump on that. I'll leave a link for their consultation and the live event in the show notes below. But anyways, let's jump right in. For so many of us, when we're looking at investing in a self-storage facility and purchasing our first facility, or maybe even a facility down the road, maybe we're veterans, we want to use SBA loans. They can be phenomenal options for us to be able to get into a facility at a great rate, at some great terms. Look no further than Live Oak Bank. These guys have some incredible options for SBAs, uh, some incredible terms. They know self-storage. These guys are going to be your one-stop shop for financing, funding, and all things self-storage. Link is in the show notes. Check these guys out. I am really excited about our guest because so many people are out raising capital for investments or they're wanting to and they have no idea how. So today we're talking with literally an expert in the industry of raising funds. And this is going to be so interesting. Um, I probably have more questions than you guys do. So maybe this is just for me, but uh, uh, tag along. It'll be great. Yeah. Well, wow. Quite the intro, AJ. I'm honored to be on it. Sound, it's going to be a blast. Um, yeah. So quick, uh, quick introduction. My name is Bridger Pennington. Um, I'm the founder of a couple different companies. One of them is called Fund Launch. So we help people start, launch, and scale investment funds, like you said. We have over 20,000 students around the world um, in so like you do self-storage, real estate, private equity, hedge funds, venture capital, real estate funds, debt funds, 
almond farm funds, selling movie scripts on Hollywood funds, uh, hydrogen. They turn man- We have one guy who turns manure into hydrogen. He has the largest facility in the country to do this. It's crazy. We have the craziest people in our group. It's a, it's fantastic. So, so we threw, we throw some fun live events and, and we had 1200 people in Vegas just a couple months ago for fun launch live. And we just do all sorts of fun stuff. Um, and then I also run funds as well. So I've ran two funds. I've sold um, just my second fund. I just sold that last year. And then just most recently launched a new uh, hedge fund, a crypto fund, like a few other partners. Um, we just raised just over 10 million. Uh, I think we're over 11 million now, just uh, last month and a half ago. And we are uh, growing like crazy. That's amazing. Was, we actually had a lot of money lined up and then crypto crashed really hard. And everyone was like, we don't want to be in crypto anymore. And we're like, this is the time this to buy. This is the time and, to get in. Anyways, it's funny. So you know, no, be, it's, thanks for having me on, dude. It's gonna be fun. I don't know. You just, when, when you talk about it and stuff, you make it seem so, it seems so natural and simple where I think most people view raising capital and funds as outrageously complex. And it's almost like that's something for wall street. That's not something for me. Um, and I really kind of want to dive into this and talk about overall landscape today raising capital because things have dramatically shifted in the last six months on the raising capital side. Um, I know we've seen it as well as a lot of people uh, that we've seen it, but how, how did you get into the fund space? Like how, how did, it's not like you went to school. I, maybe you did. Maybe there was a school for <laughs> funds, <laughs> yeah. but it's just like, how, how'd you get in the space? Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you my story really quickly. Cut me off. I don't want to talk too long, but, um, I got, I was uh, born in, I'm in from Utah, Salt Lake City, Utah. I super ambitious. I grew up in a very average household. I went to college, started six businesses my first two years of college. I was like a chicken with my head cut off. I was running around. I did a Chinese tutoring business. I wholesaled two houses for you real estate people, built websites for people. We we're doing a Forex trading platform. These were not like business ideas. These were actual businesses up and running, making money. I was just ambitious. I wanted to make money, but I was all over the place. I was doing everything and nothing at the same time. Finally, my dad grabs me. And he goes, Bridger, you're, you know, you're running around. He goes, I want you to go meet with my business partner. This guy can really help you out. I said, okay, I'll, I'll go meet with whoever, right? I'm like 21 years old at this time. And, and I go and meet with this guy and I pull up to his house. It's this gorgeous white mansion, just beautiful. He's got the cars and the pool and the basketball court in the basement, and the wine cellar. I mean, it's just this huge house. And I come in, I sit down on his couch and long story short, I ask him, how did you get all of this? And he says, we you know, me and a couple partners and your dad started a couple investment funds. And currently we manage just about $8 billion of real estate, which is, I was like, Whoa, that's a, you know, that's pretty crazy to put that into context. That's what two or three times bigger than Cardone capital today. They manage over $40 billion of real estate. They're top, I think top six in the world as real estate fund managers, 40 billion. They do multifamily office. They do every, I mean, pretty much everything. They're, they're massive. And so I was, I was blown away. I was like, wow, I want to learn about this. And I said, Hey, I've, I've heard podcasts like this. You got to find a mentor, right? Like always find a mentor. And I'm sure you've taught that to your people before. And I've heard that before. And I said, Hey, can you be my mentor? I want to, I'll come, I'll get you coffee. I'll just follow you around. I'll hop in your car. Like whatever you need to do, I'll do it. And he says, Bridger, go talk to your dad. He goes, your dad knows way more about than I do. I said, no, no, no. My dad's kind of poor. We live in a small house. My dad drives a crappy car. Like I'm good. I want to learn from you. Like you're obviously super rich. And he goes, uh, sorry to break it to you, but, um, me and your dad make about the same amount of money. And my chin dropped to the floor. I was like, huh? Come again. You know? And he's like, yeah, I mean, we're pretty much equal business partners in this. I left the dude's house drove straight to my dad's house. And I was like, dad, what the heck? Like, what's going on? Like, why, 
Why haven't I been able to order a soda at Chipotle for the past 10 years? Cause it's too expensive. And yet you guys are managing billions of dollars of real estate right now. And so long story short, he started to teach me about funds and he started to educate me every Sunday night. I go to his house and he'd, we'd go on the whiteboard and he talked me through how funds are structured, how the sec works, how to raise capital, how to put it all together, the whole nine yards. And, um, I, uh, it's funny when you start to learn about something, you start to recognize that thing in your life. And it's like all things you start, you know, Tony Robbins preaches that I won't get into that concept, but you guys understand what I'm talking about. I started to recognize opportunities for funds in my life. So I was at college at the time I was working an internship and starting to start a company and, and going to school. Um, cause my parents weren't giving me, you know, they weren't like paying, you know, give me a, a full ride through everything. And so anyways, at that company I was working at, I had an idea for a fund. We could, the clients that were coming through this company needed financing. I thought we could give them a financing product. We could make a debt vehicle and, and give them debt. Anyways, um, we started this little fund and it was amazing. I, I pitched the, I pitched the founders company that loved it. I pitched my dad. He loved it. We started to put this fund together and all the pieces together. And I'm 22 years old at the time, super excited. And we got the structure of the fund put together. And then I hit this wall. I was like, crap, now I got to raise money. Like who's going to invest in me? I've got no track record. I've got, I've got nothing going for me. Who's going to give me money? And I thought, aha, my dad, like, this will be easy. My dad's rich. He obviously doesn't spend it on Lamborghinis and Ferraris. Like, you know, he'll, he would love to invest. So I remember it was a late Sunday night. I went and uh, knocked on my dad's home office and I, <laughs> I was like, Hey dad, um, my best pitch voice possible. I said, thank you so much for helping me out with my fund. You know, how would you like to be our first investor into our fund? And uh, my dad kind of smiled and laughed at me. And he said, Bridger, he goes, I have the money to invest, but if I invest in your fund, it would ruin the experience of you raising money on your own. He goes, that's a crutch that you'll never be able to recover from. You need to go learn this on your own. And it was a big tough love moment between me and my dad. And, uh, he kicked me out and he said, you got to go do this on your own. I walked out with my tail between my legs a little bit. And, uh, I took him up on the offer though. And I went out, I hit the streets. I talked to everybody I knew and I raised a whopping $49,500 after like four weeks of pitching people, which was amazing though. I was ecstatic because it was enough to get started. This, this little debt fund, we were doing loans that were like a thousand to $5,000 alone. They would only last 30 to 60 days. So very short term, very high, high um, turnover of loans. And so we, it was enough to get started. And we started this little micro fund. I was in college. I was so excited. And we, uh, we actually got our first group of investors, a 64% return on their money which was amazing. I was blown away. And then we, we kind of consolidated that little syndication fund and we built it on a formal form D like 80, like the full out fund. That second fund we raised and employed millions of dollars out of that fund. I actually ran that for about three and a half, four years. It did very, very well. Um, and then we had a competitor come in and actually buy us out. So we actually, I actually sold that fund last year, had a nice little exit on it. And then, um, we, uh, then I mentioned that more, most recently we just, um, launched a crypto fund and we raised capital for that. So, um, about 11 million we've raised so far for that one, which is pretty fun. Um, and then during that time period, we just had a lot of people asking us. So me, my dad, and I didn't mention this. My brother is a securities attorney. So he does law for funds. He's at the, he's at the largest law firm in the world right now for funds. So between the three of us, we have like the perfect little family to do funds. And so people started asking us. And if you look online, nobody teaches about investment funds, how to start one, how to, like the actual like nuts and bolts of doing a fund. No one was teaching this. And so we saw, we saw, you know what, let's do this. None of us went to Harvard. None of us to Ivy league schools. All of us are just kind of 
entrepreneur types that figured out this game. And, and so we started to put out YouTube videos and a podcast and it slowly turned into people wanted uh, an education course and then coaching and then live events. We just kind of have built this company now. And we have, I think 44 employees now with, with our companies. And, and anyways, it's been really fun. It's been fun to be a part of. And our goal is to just democratize the world of funds. Like you don't need to work on wall street for 20 years. You don't have to go to Ivy Wharton or Kellogg to do a fund. You can do, you can do this. And so we help the, you know, the non-conventional people start funds, which is really fun. So Sorry, that's the long, that, that was the story, but that's kind of how we got in this game no, and, and what I've been doing. That's awesome. Yeah. I, um, you know, you, you, you hit something that I think is really important. There used to be heavy, heavy gatekeepers and barriers in the way of capital. And there was um, very ingrained institutional formats that were designed to hold disperse capital. And you, most of the time, had to be, like you're saying, an Ivy League person to gain access. So you had to be in this firm. You had to be on Wall Street. You had to be, you know, this. And then that's who they doled their capital out to. And they held it all, right? And the internet has kind of broke that. And now you have access to people that normally you couldn't ever, or if you did, it would just be really, really hard to individually roll up and things like that. Uh, where today it's amazing the resources and tools that we have that literally 10 years ago, even big firms like, you know, third party administration companies that actually manage and operate the funds like invest next. And, you know, all of these third parties that will actually do the management side um, on your disbursements. And it's, there's just so much more access. And I think that over the years though, it has been ingrained that funds are for wall street, right? That's it. We don't, normal people don't have access. They don't have knowledge. They can't do that. And that turned out to be not only not true, right, but it's been exploited. And over the last really nine years, we've seen tremendous amounts of people entering it in and literally raising capital, creating funds from means that nobody ever thought that they could. Um, people are kind of blown away. You know, my uh, friend, um, uh, so Brandon Turner, he, he was at this meeting and uh, he's raised, I don't know, it's like 200 plus million, right? And he was telling this to a large money manager and the guy's jaw like hit the floor. He's like, what? How'd you do that? What firm are you? Like, you know, it was like, how do you, yeah. was, oh, off yeah, Instagram. That's awesome. That's so cool. And you're seeing that more and more, but a lot of people don't know the ins and outs of it, even though they'd like to do it or think that they could. So how does this world of funds work? Like why set up a fund? What are the pros and cons to it? And how would one even get started? Like where, where would you go? Um, yeah. So great questions. Let's just, let's just, uh, hit the, let's hit the first question, pros and cons of a fund versus syndication versus other things. Does that sound good? Mm-hmm. So, um, so I'm sure your, your listeners are probably super smart. So they already know, you know, there's syndications, there's funds. So a syndication in my definition would be a deal by deal basis. So a lot of people, if you're listening to the show, you're like, Hey, I want to go do storage units or go take down a apartment complex. Now the, the normal person that's just sitting around thinks, okay, I've got to wait 10 years. 
I've got to earn some money for my high income earning job and I'm eventually going to buy a duplex and I'm going to buy a fourplex and I'm going to buy a 16, you know, I'm going to slowly try to scale my real estate portfolio if they're smart, right? Yeah. That's like their long-term plan. Well, the, the next step would be instead of waiting, just leverage other people's money. And so a lot, what a lot of people do is say, hey, let's go take down a 85 units. We're going to raise a syndication. Typically those look like an LLC. Um, and they, uh, they go put money into that. They grab, you know, friends, family, and fool. They go grab some money. They grab a bank hard money loan, or they go um, hit a personal line of credit or something like that. Put money in, they go do the deal, and then the deal transacts, they sell it, they flip it, and then they make money and they pay back all their investors a you know, pro rata share based on how much they invested. So house flippers are perfect at this. House flippers, you know, they find a house, they go find some money, they set up a brand new LLC, they then flip the house and they pay everybody back. So I, we have a guy, a, fr- a friend actually in our group, he was flipping about four houses a year. He'd do one a quarter and he would make 200 grand. It was awesome. He, he's like, this is a great little life. But he came to us and he said, I wanna, I wanna do more, I wanna scale. Uh, we set up a fund. The next year he flipped 74 houses out of a fund. Now, the reason he was able to do that was back to the pros and cons of funds and versus syndication. So a syndication with flipping houses, he'd find a deal. He'd have to go reset up a new entity. He'd have to call up all of his investors and, okay, can you guys wire money? And, okay, money's due Friday. Okay, call. And then one investor says, I don't want to wire money. And they go, oh, I got to go find a new investor. And he'd miss deals. With a fund, you set up all your legal once. You, you raise the capital once. And then you have a pool of money that he can just draw from. And if he wants to close on a house tomorrow, he literally has the money ready to go and can just close in that house. And I ask people, do you think you'd win more deals or less deals if you had just money sitting? You go to the courthouse, you can just pay cash. You're giving cash offers. You can move. You can close in four or five days versus 45 days. That makes a big difference. It also gives you economies of scale. Right. So for him, instead of he'd have, you know, himself and maybe a couple other crew guys go from house to house, he now had enough money. He could have economies of scale. He had multiple crews going to multiple houses at different times. It made his costs overall go down on average and he could flip more houses. Does that kind of make sense? It just turned it into a, it's, it's scaled. The biggest thing about funds, if I could summarize it all, funds allow you to scale. There's a reason why most people that are successful in finance in any way, shape or form, they all want to be in a fund or they're trying to move to a fund one day. It's because they're so scalable. And, and for a lot of great reasons, one I just mentioned was, you know, capital is ready to go Two, you get better financing from banks. You can negotiate better debt when you're you know, getting debt. Um, three, it actually protects you a lot. So it protects you. If, if investors, you get in a bad, hairy deal, investors are suing you or each other in a syndication, anything can happen in a fund. It's a lot more structured and it's actually a lot more protected. And then fourth, you have diversification. So you're not just banking all your money on one. Hopefully this one deal goes good. You're now diversified across maybe a dozen or two dozen properties for a real estate example um, in there. So there's a lot of pros and cons. Now, the cons are they're a little more expensive to set up, a little harder to raise for sometimes, and um, usually have a longer vision with them right? You're, you're committing to years of, of manage because it's, you know, it's a big deal when you take somebody's money and you're going to manage their money for a long period of time. So it's a more serious endeavor, but the rewards are massive. I mean, you look at the Forbes 100 list, it is riddled <laughs> with fund managers, right? Um, but I'll ask you the same question. Why'd you guys move to a fund? You moved to a fund you said last year, right? Yeah. Um, that's it. We were doing syndications and the fees alone with the syndications, like you said, it's a little more expensive, but I'm doing 15 deals and I have to do the paperwork. 
and everything for every single one of those deals versus a fund to do all 15 deals, it's vastly cheaper to set up the fund. Um, the syndications, the paperwork, the communications for every single property, um, it was not scalable. That's the bottom line. It was not scalable. We, we could not keep going or maintain at that level. I mean, if we're buying whatever, 150 million worth of assets a year, well, syndicating those one off every single time, holy cow, reporting every, I mean, it would just be there, there'd be no margin and there, you just couldn't scale it. So really we probably couldn't grow unless we moved to the fund model. Definitely not as fast, definitely not as profitable. Um, it, it's a huge barrier of entry when you're trying to scale like that, doing it in other means. Uh, it's like the fund opened up the gates for us to access um, the ability to grow. Um, it was a huge, almost natural organic thing that we had to go to. We should have long before. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, that's what most people say, right? Now, I'm, I'm gonna say this straight up. Syndications are great though, yeah. to get started. Yeah. To build a track record, to get your feet wet, syndications are amazing. But fun, you most people just eventually, just like you, they have, end up in a fund just because it's scalable. They want to keep doing this at a bigger level. It's more consolidated into one group. I, I love it. You're spot on. So that's where you know we we help people. Well, actually, we help people with syndications as well. But that whole process of putting that together, and it's, as you know, it can be clunky. There's a lot of stuff to figure out and SEC compliance and how to put it together and who to file with. Anyways, we try to make that really simple for people and help people just streamline it to get them launched. So yeah. why are people, you know, you'd mentioned, why do people open up funds? Because when we hear funds most of the time in the real estate world, you're like, yeah, for real estate. But there's actually a lot of things that people fund. And I know you've seen a ton. So- Walk us through some of the things that people are using funds to take advantage of that I think, generally speaking, people wouldn't even think of. So as you guys know, we like to partner with people who have been in the self-storage industry for a very long time and people who are not going anywhere, who are going to stay in the self-storage industry. One of those people is Janice International. These guys have been in the self-storage world for a very long time. They're an incredible company with amazing products to help build, to help improve and to help drive value of your self-storage facility. They've got rehabilitation programs like their R3 program. They have a number of technology solutions to help you increase operations and value of your self-storage facility. Be sure to check out the all things self-storage at Janus International. Link is in the show notes. So funds in general, funds is a broad term. You have all these different types of funds. You have private equity, venture capital, real estate funds, debt funds, hedge funds. And it's funny, so I, we deal with all these different types of funds and it's actually really interesting. I, I talk to a lot of people that don't know the difference between those names I just called out, venture capital, private, hedge. They actually, they have no clue. So just so everyone's aware, when you sound smart, when you go to dinner on Sunday or whatever, um, the difference is actually, so it's very interesting. I've structured all these types of funds. They all structure and run pretty much the same. They have the same backbones. The only difference is what they invest into. So for example, you guys, a real estate fund's easy. A real estate fund invests into real estate. It's pretty obvious. A private equity fund is a fund, a pool of capital, just like real estate, but instead of buying real estate, they buy privately held companies. They buy private equity. So a, a big, uh, one example is Sycamore Partners. They're on Wall Street. They manage about 10 billion. They own 
uh, Nine West Shoes, Aeropostale. Uh, They're trying to buy Kohl's right now. Last year, they were trying to buy Victoria's Secret. They own Staples. That's all owned by the same company. They're a private equity firm. They buy just large amounts of private ownership or private companies. Uh, Hedge funds, okay, same pool of capital, but instead of buying private assets, they buy public assets. They buy stocks, bonds, futures, crypto, Forex. Okay, that would be a hedge fund. They're all structured like exactly the same though, which is anyways, great. Debt funds, they issue debts, they issue loans. Okay, they're all, these are all, it's like not that crazy. The thing that bugs me about finance so much and Wall Street people is they make things sound so confusing yes. when they're not that confusing. It's actually pretty simple. And funds are, yeah, there's a few things to learn, but they're not that crazy. Most hedge funds Sorry, don't back to the other hedge, question though is- But you know, most funds aren't hedging. They're not actually, they were originally started out to hedge yeah. against market volatility and market downside. Now today, very few hedge funds are actively engaged in the hedging process, right? They are simply allocating capital. And most real estate is now moving to like this book as well as others, real estate, private equity. Why? Because when you said, oh, I invest in real estate, people, I think, I think my opinion is, is why real estate people are saying uh, real estate, private equity now is just because people didn't understand it. And when you said I invest in real estate, they're like, oh, like a real estate agent. But then when you mm-hmm. said private equity, yeah. real estate, everybody goes, oh, you're raising funds. Yeah. And so it's like these things are, you're exactly right. They're so similar and exchangeable in what they do, because just because you have a hedge fund also doesn't mean you don't invest in real estate. It's yeah. It's uh, anyways, they're, yeah, yeah they're, they're yeah. Great add-on. It was, it was perfect. So the other question you asked was crazy funds. So I got some crazy, some, some fun stories of people in our group that just stuff they do. So I mentioned at the beginning, we have a, a guy, he has an almond farmed fund. So they, I guess, farming and like nut farming, cashews, almonds produce a huge ROI. I don't, anyways, he knows all this. They are buying tons of farmland in Northern California, all the place they group it together. They have economies of scale. We have another guy um, that, that called me up. He has a gun store. He wants to, so this is not just people raising like money. This is for business owners. So he has a gun store. He's ran it for a couple of years, does well. I think they do like 10 million a year through his store. Um, he wanted to buy out his competitors. He wants to be the dominant gun store in the state. So he's like, let's, instead of, you know, doing the shark tank model where you give up 30% of your company and raise money, he's like, let's set up. So what we decided to do, we set up an outside fund he keeps his business. We set up an outside fund that we raised for, and we went and, and the plan was to buy up all of his competitors. He doesn't give up any equity out of his original business. It's all outside. And then he profit shares with the fund on that. And now he controls the entire state of gun stores. Pretty interesting, right? That's why you see like in Utah right now, we have car washes. All the car washes are getting bought up and like turned into these like crazy car washes. Those are, most of them are bigger funds that are just consolidating an industry. We've um, done the same so you thing. See that in bit- we went and bought yeah, the same all thing the in, assets in, Idaho? in a certain yeah. area. And then we dic- well, we could control the market in interesting ways that, uh, yeah. So we've done the same across uh, a lot of markets. We're doing some similar things in the uh, Southeast right now. Mm, yeah, it's, it's, pretty, uh, it's pretty interesting. A couple other ones. We had a guy, um, he was, uh, he found he could buy scripts in Hollywood from writers that were broke. So these writers would write these movie or mini series scripts. He'd buy them for 20 or 30 grand a script. And he turns around and sells them to Netflix, HBO Max, Amazon Prime for 200 or $300,000 a script. That's all they do. That's their spread. And they had, they raised, they didn't raise that much money. They raised like a couple million bucks. 
And then they go and just buy up all these broke writers or yeah, take my script. It's 20 grand, 30 grand. Cool. You know, and they'll turn around and 10 X the value of that script. It's crazy. So, um, I mean, these, there's just, there are most niche funds are amazing. It's awesome. Now, now when we look at the, I think a lot of people, so for years, like 15 years, we did not take investors. So it was just me and my father. We started this company. We worked um, literally two jobs for a decade as we reinvested all our capital um, into the business. We never took any money out of our real estate business. We just kept reinvesting it, right? We did it the really, really hard way. And the reason being was I had a lot of preconceived notions, we both did, on what it meant when you took investors on. And I don't know why it took me so long to challenge those preconceived notions. Maybe it's just because we thought what we were doing was working, but it had a lot to do with things like, oh, I have to give up control or, oh, this is really risky, right? And that turned out to really not be true at all. In fact, it turned out to be the other way around. Like we could do it and actually diversify risk and we could get in a situation where we had overall less risk in our business and we could scale faster. And we looked at it, well, we're already using a bank. We're using OPM anyways. So, you know, we kind of dove into it. And what are the main things that you hear from people when they think about funds? Like what are the biggest misconceptions that you hear? Um, yeah, there's a lot. I'm being probably added to the list, but just like, I know I, exactly your example, you shared a lot of people the, the idea of taking on other people's money is like, we're not going to ever do that, which is, that's a good wall to have. Cause taking on some people are too just, yeah, I'll take your money. And then they lose it or they are fraud. Yeah. You know, there's, there's too much of that for yes. sure. Yes. But then there's other good people. Like it sounds like you and your father who are good, just hardworking, good people that are just like, we'll never do it. And I think there's a, a got to find a good balance there of things. And the SEC's put in some good safeguards, hopefully to protect against fraud and other things. But um, a lot of people think of, you know, the fraudulent case that, cause that's what hits the headlines, right? That's what hits the, the, the TV shows or these fraud cases of funds, um, which totally can happen. Um, now, if you know what to check for and look at, you, you probably won't invest in one, but, and again, um, but if you're running one, that's the biggest thing. And then, and, but I'll, I'll say this, it is a bigger, when you take on someone else's capital, it's a big responsibility. Big responsibility. You have a fiduciary responsibility to these, to these investors, to these limited partners where you have to do what's in the best interest for them. And they are paying you to be on the ball and to be right there watching the assets, making sure things are running correctly, that things are reported correctly. Um, I mean, if you report something wrong, and you do it knowingly, I mean, you can go to jail. That's fraud. If you mislead an investor, that is fraud. And so they'll put you in jail. They won't find you. They will put you in jail for misleading an investor or, and or stealing capital. So it's a, you gotta be, I, I tell people this, you gotta be honest to your core in a, in a lot of ways to run a fund. Um, and what do I mean by that? I mean, there, there could be $8 million sitting in a bank account right next to your bank account. And you gotta say, I can't touch that money. That money's the investor's money. It's for this purpose. You got to just be, you got to be, and if you can't do that, if you're a type of person that just, you know, can't manage your own money, obviously you probably shouldn't be managing other people's money. Number one, but number two, it's some, you know, and you know, most pe regular people don't say that, but all of a sudden, what if your mom gets cancer and she needs uh, $800,000 for a treatment? Yeah. It's not Are you going to steal from the fund to pay for your mom's $800,000 of treatment? You'll go to prison. That's a question you got to run through in your brain and say, you know what? No, 
These are separate. We'll figure it out another way for mom. We'll figure out insurance or, and you got to set up your life in a way where you wouldn't be in that situation. But most fraud cases aren't just built on somebody. They wanted to just steal money. Some do, I guess, but a lot of times they get pigeonholed or put in these certain situations where they go, well, I, I'm justified. Just like my mom has cancer. I got to pay $800,000 to save her life. Well, yeah, I'm going to steal from the fund. And so I think you just got to be honest to your core and have a, be a principled, disciplined person just in general. And if, but now that being said, a lot of people are that way, especially people that are listening to a podcast like this and educating themselves and buying rentals already. You probably are already that, the, that way and are disciplined enough to say, these are the accounts of the business and all investor capital does is just add freaking, it just adds fire, just gasoline on the fire. It helps you just grow like crazy. And now you can get a, especially with real estate, we talked about real estate today, economies of scale are huge. I, there are so many bidders on a duplex, right? I, I bet on a duplex last year, it was like, there was like 85 bidders on this duplex. There's very, there's a lot fewer bidders on a $38 million apartment complex or a $212 million portfolio, right? There's three bidders or two bidders and you have better chances of winning. There's more margin of, of victory if you, if you do well. So I, I wouldn't let, I would just say, so to summarize, number one, be honest to your core, be ready for that kind of responsibility. Number two, um, I mean, it's, it is scale, it's scalability. It's gasoline on the fire, which is pretty cool, which is, I'm sure you've seen as well in your life. Yeah. I think, you know, you make a really good point. And when I think of funds, I think the cart and the horse, like you don't say, oh, I'm going to start a fund and raise money to figure out what to do with it. Right. Like if you have a business strategy that you like, you've done, you implement, or you've really researched well, and you're like, no, I understand this, right. We're taking it. You're starting this business up. Um, then you raise money to assist you in that. Um, it's, you know, most people that raise funds are either like us or other people that we have been doing these things. We understand these things. Um, you're creating a long-term strategy, right? Um, most people that are doing that anyways are usually on the up and up. These are people that are trying to do the right thing. They're responsible, right? That kind of stuff. Um, Obviously, it is nothing that you should even remotely take lightly, hence the reason it took us so long, right? 15 years um, to where we got it because that responsibility was felt. That was a big responsibility. And in fact, uh, for me, you know, I think we should have done it way, way sooner, but like I almost kind of always doubted myself. I'm like, I'll risk my money. I do not want to necessarily risk other people's money. Now, I'm super conservative. Right. And I'm that stuff, right. You know, kind of eats at me and everything, but also a lot of times you need the capital to start. So capital is the lifeblood of the economy. And a lot of people that are trying to get together, they're doing research, they're putting together a venture. Um, they need the capital and they, it's not like they can go get a bank loan, right. For those things. How do you approach that if you are creating something, you've never done this before, and you say, I have an ex, I see this advantage in the marketplace. I see how we can capitalize on this. I want to start up this business. I have a great business plan. I can't get banks because banks don't loan in that form, right? Funds provide a very different function than banks do. Um, what are the things that you should be thinking through? Is that wise? Should you just do a syndication? Should you go another route? Yeah, I think, um, 
the more importantly to you hit this right on the head, you're just, you're hitting it. Um, when you're looking at raising capital in general, most people that I know that can't raise capital, my dad said the same thing. He's like, people that I know that don't raise capital, they go about it in the way of, <laughs> Hey, you wouldn't want to invest with me, would you? Or, Hey, we've got kind of a deal over here. Do you want to just throw some money at it? It's like, no, I don't want to just throw some money. The people who are effective capital raisers and effective fund managers for that, for that point, they show up and I'm like, AJ, I have found the greatest corner of the market or opportunity I've seen in my life. I've looked around the globe. This is the coolest thing. We're doing self-storage units in South Dakota and for whatever, you know, all these great reasons. It's the greatest market ever. We got one on sale. It's 30% off. We just need money to close in 30 days. I'm putting all my own money in. I'm putting my grandma's money in. I am on a mission. This is the greatest thing I've found on planet earth. People that capital raise with that attitude tend to find all the money they want plus more. It's the people and same with the fund managers. I mean, that's, that's how you should approach when you raise capital for somebody, you're doing them a favor. It's like, man, I have found the greatest deal ever. Do you guys want to get in? That's how you got to think about it. And when you think about it that way, all the worries about raising capital, taking all the people's money go away. Cause like, dude, I'm putting all my money in. I'm, I'm asking all my friends and family to come take, put their money in. And that's how you do it. That's how I got into it. I had, um, you know, I, I'd, uh, built this huge portfolio, 150 million regurgitating our money, taking our money out, reducing risk. And we, we were just blowing it up. We were killing it, everything else. And, um, I'd become paralyzed. Uh, so I lost my other job, but my real estate portfolio was paying me. Right. And when I was telling people, I was telling about how amazing this was, how, you know, returns and then they're like, Oh, well, you should take investors money. Right. And I'm like, well, I don't want to do that because then, you know, they're investing in me, but what if I, you know, what if something happens and it didn't perform well and lost? And they were looking at me and they're like, dude, you do realize that you're doing something that they don't have an opportunity to get. What this thing did that saved your financial life by you not taking money because you don't want to risk other people's you're just not allowing other people to get what you did and got. It totally changed my mind. It's flipped the way I saw it. It was like, you're exactly right. You're like, I can do this thing. We have this incredible opportunity. It's not, I'm only allowing people to come in to have this opportunity with me. And it was once I started looking at it like that, then it was like, yeah, no, I, I am ready to take on capital because this is an opportunity for people right? These are huge advantages that you just don't get depreciation on and on and on, right? That most people, unless you'd spent 15 years, like they just didn't have access to those kind of things that we did. And once I changed my mind on that, it completely reshaped entirely the way that I imbued investors. And then instead it became my mission. I am going to provide financial freedom, economic success, wealth, and progress for others just like I had done for me. And that gave me meaning that gave me, it fulfilled me thinking that I can do that for others. Right. And uh, that it was amazing. The 180 that it flipped in my mind and how I had been so almost against it prior to then all of a sudden that became my mission. Hmm, that's so cool. Oh, I love that. That's awesome. That's spot on. I mean, you're doing a disservice to people by not letting them in. Yeah. 
and it that's, was that's how you gotta that's how, that's how it should be and that's actually i think that's true for all companies in sales like that's sales one-on-one you gotta that it should be like you're doing a favor to your customer by getting them in this car getting them in this product or vehicle or whatever it is if yeah, you don't believe that you shouldn't be it, doing yeah. it right yeah. like if you don't believe it you shouldn't be doing it period like yeah, exactly or why yeah, are you I doing it. it so yeah that's no that's awesome now walk me through here what are what are on the horizon okay there's a we, you know, we just got, uh, we all just dodged a bullet in our world, uh, that carry forward interest, um, is okay now because, uh, the government was going after carried forward interest as well as others. And so, um, we're very grateful for the, uh, Democrats not closing that loophole, um, and, uh, keeping that, that going, but that doesn't mean there's not a lot of pressure, um, you know, hedge funds, funds in general, um, are the financialization and the America is, it is a target, right? And people don't like it for whatever reason. And I think it has to do with misconceptions, right? They think it's like hedge funds of people doing purely obscure high volume trading. So you think like a fund and then, oh, well, you're doing sketchy things on the stock market. And you're like, what? I'm not even involved in the stock market. What are you talking about, right? Um, but that kind of, look, government, uh, especially one side of it, it's put a pretty big target. Um, and it, how do you view the landscape changing around funds in general in, uh, here in the future? Do you think we've still got a great run? I mean, we had great news to whatever, a week ago. I mean, this was really recent. Um, but it's, it's, it's always on the chopping block. People are always looking at it. What is, what is your thoughts on that? Um, I, I think <laughs> it's funny. I, I, uh, funds right now have grown substantially over the past two decades. I mean, it's been the curve is, and then especially since, uh, 2015, I think the amount of capital invested in funds is like 10 X. I mean, it's been huge. I mean, it's up to, I think it's, uh, almost over a trillion right now in, in funds and like 20 years ago it was 30 billion something like that that were in funds i mean it's 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 absolutely crazy what has happened to the the people putting money in funds because they're hiring good fund managers that are going to go and buy up assets and and consolidate industries and find inefficiencies and they're paid very very well to do it and there's lots of entrepreneurs that want to get into that space and take that market share and so i there's a lot of money there when there's always a lot of money um things end to end up to work out in the money's favor in my opinion. <laughs> there's always lobbyists and other things I, I we can dive into a whole thing about corruption and stuff like that but there's always lobbyists there's always stuff to protect the people with capital um because the, the problem is you you tax and you di- dis- disincentivize people that are making money well guess what they do they go somewhere else they go to another country another economy another market and they'll go make money there um or they'll just domicile themselves in another they're they're they're, i made a video the other day about taxing the rich it's just really hard to tax the rich because you have you know they can leave number one and number two it disincentivizes them from reinvesting back in their own businesses and their own um own economy actually so funds right now um and trump just added a little more but um funds you're actually incentivized to run a fund carried interest on funds is taxed at capital gains rates so these everyone's mad like Mitt Romney or Donald Trump were paying such low tax rates it's because they run funds and it's because the IRS whatever years ago said we want to incentivize fund managers to raise money from around the world and bring it to the United States and so yeah maybe some some targets will move 
Um, a lot of the bills, I was really worried about like 1031 exchanges, a lot of the real estate stuff. And I, and I was like, I started to look at them like all these politicians all own a all lot of real estate. Yeah. They all invest in funds. Yeah. We're going to be just fine. Like I don't, I don't even, I don't even lose sleep at all over that anymore. I'm like, we're going to be just fine. And if they come up with some crazy bill, you know what? We're going to have an election cycle and guess what? The next group will probably just pull it out. Like they're going to undo whatever they do to protect the money and, and capitalism. So I was worried about it for a while. I think it's going to be a red wave this midterms as well. Um, so I, it's, and, uh, I, I think we'll be just fine as far as political landscape. Now, if you want to talk about like macroeconomics or the Fed or interest rates or China debt crisis, I'm, we can talk about that too. But as far as just legislation, I think we're okay. Okay. Well, that actually leads into the next one. Um, raising funds has gotten a lot harder over the last five months. Um, this is something that I've mentioned on one of my podcasts before, but, um, you know, I have a lot of friends that are out there and they raise hundreds and hundreds of millions. And, um, in the last month to two months is the first time that I have heard in, I, since I can remember not hitting targets losing deals, not getting the money in the door. Now, this is obviously different than most normal people. They're raising lots of money. But still, this is the first time that I have ever heard, and it was across the board. They were all like, whoa, it changed. It's harder. We're struggling. We're They're scrambling to get money, things like that. Have you heard the same? Are you seeing the same? What do you think is the cause and the outcome? Yeah. So, I mean, capital markets, there's just fluctuations. Um, we saw the same thing in the dot-com bubble and the 2008 crash. In these crashes, and right now, raising capital the, goes down and amount of good deals usually goes up. And then it flips. So like two years ago, there's lots of capital. Deals were hard to find, right? And it just flips. So um, it, it's just an ebb and flow. So since it's called January, I mean, it's been extremely hard to raise capital. We, we had, for our fund, we had about 38 million lined up and only 10 made it, which we were still fine with. We, we still started our, our crypto fund, but we had a lot of investors say, you know what? I was going to invest X. Now I'm going to invest like half or a yeah. third, right? Because everyone's just, you know, you know, pulling back. They don't want to be caught in a bad spot. They're, they're obviously they're not as bullish. Um, we're in a bear market and going into a recession, all that kind of stuff, which is totally understandable. Deal flow goes up. And now I talked to a lot of managers that are very excited. They're uh, like, well, we finally, <laughs> finally, some finally. normal, some normally. Yeah. You yes. guys are excited. Yeah, a lot of, it was like, this is great. Now finding money's hard, but you got to, it's just, it's you just got to, it's just your selling has got to go up. You got to hit the, those family offices, those institutions a little bit harder. This is the time to get in, not the time to get out. This is the time to be in the game, you know? And, and so my, my dad's funds, for instance, they flourished in 2008, 2009, 2010. They, it was hard to raise capital, but they found such good deals. And it was, they were cornerstones for their fund going for the next decade. And I've seen that with a lot of managers. And the great so, recession made us. We yeah. were invested prior. Um, we uh, had deals but the recession made us. It allowed us an opportunity of a five-year window where we could buy deals that even today people would murder for. Like, it was just uh, amazing. And it, that happened right when coronavirus hit. We had three months where the capital market shut down and everybody freaked out. Everything went into lockdown. All of a sudden, 
the banks were like, uh, we've got these office buildings. We got to get rid of them. Right. And so we went and bought them up. And then six months later, they quadrupled in price. And, um, a lot of people forget that, that, that it, it is in, you're exactly right. I, I always say, um, execution goes down when deals go up and deals go down and capital has a lot to do with the execution. I can't execute. Right. But this is the time to move, even if it's at a smaller amount, even if you're like, I couldn't raise as much as I wanted to start now, like start, get into it because you'll have an automatic advantage in the market. Yeah. I've studied uh, fund managers. I mean, pretty much everybody, Leon Black, Warren Buffett, Ray Dalio, almost all of them were born out of a downturn. Almost all of them. Um, it's, it's pretty cool. So I think we we're in a good time right now. It's interesting. You study the 1970s when they had hyperinflation or not hyper, but a lot of inflation. They, they had some big crash that black Monday in the early eighties, they had these, these recessions, but prices never went back to the seventies ever. I personally, this is my personal opinion. I think we will never see 2009 prices again. I'm sorry. I'm saying I'm talking real estate ever. Never. I, people waited till like 2017, 18 to get back into the housing market. I was building a house in 2010 and everybody, even real estate professionals were like, dude, you're a moron. They're like, we're in the middle of a real estate crisis and you're out building a big old nice home. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. but I'll never see these prices again. And they're like, what are you talking about? Right? Like it's great. I, I mean, I could build a 400,000, what four years ago would cost me 1.5 million. And that was a seven-year time frame difference. Uh, and you're right. It goes down and then it goes back up, but we don't see a return. Like, it's not like we see, oh yeah, the stock market went back to 20 years ago. Even in the Great Recession, right? That didn't happen. Uh, and even in the Great Depression, you can go back and look and it went up, right? And didn't return. So you're exactly right. So it's, it's a, you know, it's a good time to be in the market. It's always a good time to be in. If you just find the right deals and have the right thesis and structure right now too, is the weeding out period. A lot of people that were, uh, a lot of, I'm in the crypto world, right? A lot of these bad projects or things that were not sustainable are getting weeded out and getting consolidated, which is actually good. It's good for good entrepreneurs. It weeds out your competition. Uh, people's it's easier to hire employees cause they're getting let go from your competition. That's terrible. And that's how you got, you got to approach what's going on. So now, now, are we going to go deeper? Are, is, are, have we hit a bottom yet? I don't know. There's, I, I have a whole frame of arguments for bullish and bearish. And we have just, I, I go through it every day in my brain. I'm like, oh, we've got the political cycle. This is going to go up. We got this. Like Jerome Powell's going to say this. And then I go the other way. I'm like, ah, no, it's going to go down because of all these uh, selling points and all these different things. And I come back to the middle and I go, I don't know what's going to happen. So I'm going to play both and just make find good deals and I'm going to do a, do my best. Yeah. It's just funny. You're, you're, you're exactly right. Like, so I just got this huge deal, 150 million under contract. And, um, they're like, you know, it, it was prior mainly because I'm like, Oh, I wouldn't have gotten this deal six months ago. Right. I wouldn't have gotten it. Uh, got it now. And somebody's like, yeah, but aren't you worried about like that, that deal would, you could get it at a better price in five months. And I'm like, how could you get it at a better price in five months? Cause I'll own it. It just means that you missed out on the deal. That's all I own it. Yeah. So if prices go, I'll go find another one in five months. That'll be a little yeah. price and I'll buy that one too. And then I'll keep buying, but you waiting doesn't mean you get those deals. I'll own them all. And it, like, <laughs> you awesome. gotta change that. that thought process because it doesn't work like that. The people that buy them, get them and then they own them and they're gone. 
it's off the market. You're not getting my deal, right? <laughs> so, uh, and yeah, then if you it. ever that's do, awesome. it's not going to be 150 million. You're going to have to pay me 300 or more, right? And that's how it works. So, like, I you tell people, I don't buy when markets go down. I don't buy when they go sideways up. I buy them in every point. It doesn't matter because a good deal is a good deal. It's a good deal when it's down. It's a good deal when it's up, when it's sideways. If you have, if you're too emotional on that volatility to make long-term decisions, that's going to kill you. And it's also going to kill your ability, I think, to work with investors, raise capital, right? Like you got to be a calm in the storm when you're dealing with investors. You got to say, guys, listen, we have bumps in the road. This always happens, right? I have bumps in things that we were doing, okay? Our expense ratio isn't what we thought because of inflation. It's okay right? We have other sides that we can go up and down. Uh, you need to be really in control of your emotions, your process, and you got to think long-term, not short-term because your investors, lots of times they will be thinking short-term and they need to look to you to be the guide, right? In the storm, you are supposed to be the expert. And if you are that short-term thinking and all over the place, uh, that's not going to be good for communicating with investors. No, spot on. I mean, it's back to the psychology of investing right there. It's one-on-one. Now you said it spot on. I won't even add anything because you said it so well. <laughs> I love awesome. it. That's perfect. That, you, I, you summarized it all. I'm not even going to add to not even waste time. That was just amazing. <laughs> <laughs> good work. Um, so, you know, you've got, you, you just had an event. You're having another one. Um, uh, tell me like, what did you guys, like when you go to these events, cause it's very different. You're right. So first of all, you're the only one that I know that's out teaching about starting up funds. Uh, one of the reasons we want you on the podcast, cause I don't know anybody that do it. I know people that do funds that know funds that can talk about it, but I don't know anybody that that's what they teach, that that's what they do. So when you're holding these events, things like that, what, People are coming together. What are you, what should somebody, like if I go to your event, what am I trying to pull out of this? Like what, uh, what are you learning about? What are the connections you're making? That kind of stuff. No, it's a great question. So yeah, our, our event's called, our main one's called Fund Launch Live. We throw it once a year. It's our big, like huge event. Fund Launch Live, I mean, it's in the name. We help people start, launch, and scale investment funds. So you're coming to this event. We, I hope, our, our events, I try to make them at least very tactical, where you actually get something out of them. They're not just rah, rah. I mean, that's kind of fun sometimes too, but they're not just rah, rah, or just the same recycled entrepreneur crap you hear every day. We want actual, like tangible things. How did you raise capital? What are some nuggets I can take away to raise capital? How can I build a pitch deck more effectively? How can I attract more uh, partners to my firm to build my team? How do I find better deals? How do I... Um, you know, uh, build a fund and structure it for the long term and the short. How do I mitigate downside risk in my fund? That's the kind of stuff we try to build into our event with speakers. I'm very, very picky about speakers that speak at my event. Um, I want them to talk on a certain nugget, on a certain topic to give the audience a takeaway that would help them in this game. Because there's a lot of stuff, dude. How do you find partners? How do you raise capital? How do you find good deals? Who do you network with? Who do you be around? Uh, how do you structure with the SEC? What are new laws coming out? What are things that we should be thinking about, like macroeconomics? So we we try to hit all those, which is really you fun. Know, so and that's you're, why you're I'm going to so get a piece of all that. Because like when you look at, I, I don't want to go to entrepreneurs now, like where it's, once again, it's like, you can do it and believe in yourself. Like it's like, no, you go to a fund event where I'm learning about actually creating the structure to do my business, right? It's like our event, it's self-storage income. Like, no, we're talking only about self-storage. 
You're there to learn about buying, exercising, uh, or executing, right? And that kind of stuff. And I think that that's really, really important in a world of information that you're getting more strategic. And I really do think you hit a nerve um, and a need in the marketplace that doesn't exist. Now, one last question here before uh, we, we wrap this up. It, in bringing money in the door, a lot of people say, I would love to raise a, I, Bridger, I would love to raise a fund out there. How do I talk to people about giving me their money? How do I ask somebody to, how, raising capital, right? I, I don't want to be out what, knocking on doors, trying to raise, like, what What does that look like? Hey, like, I, there's a lot of anxiety with people around that. A lot, I feel like. Asking somebody for money, right? What do you say to people that say, I know I need to do this. I know this is the right way to go, but I'm having anxiety and I don't know if that's me. Um, well, it's normal. It's normal that it's kind of, it's weird to ask people for money, but it goes back. I actually asked my dad this question. I'll share an example he shared with me. Um, helped me a ton through this. So he, cause I was at the time I was 22. I was raising my first fund, no experience. I was not, I was uh, in college still. I'd done a couple of internships. I was young. I mean, it was just like, I had nothing going for me, right? Who's going to invest in this, you know, this kid. And uh, I, I asked my dad this. I'm like, I just like, what's, what, how are we going to do this? He goes, Bridger, I want to give you an example. He goes, imagine me and you found a Lamborghini Aventador in Billings, Montana. Okay. This car is valued at $300,000. Beautiful car. We've had a mechanic look at it. It's legit. There is a lady who has gone into bankruptcy and she has to sell the car like on Saturday. There it is for sale and it's for sale for $50,000 cash. Okay. And just go with me as an example. All right. So he goes, Bridger. He goes, could you find $50,000 cash by Friday to buy that car? Monday morning, we could fire sell it for $300,000. You'll make a $250,000 spread on the car. Bridger, you can't use any, any of your own money. Could you find 50 grand by Saturday? And I kind of thought about it. I was like, really, like, think about it. He goes, and I, I thought, you know, former boss, a college professor, friends from high school, an uncle, like somebody. And I was like, man. I'm going to make a quarter million dollars in college over the weekend. Like, you know what? Screw it. Like, yeah, I'll stay up late. I'll fly to New York. I'll fly anywhere, dude. I'll, I'm going to make a quarter million dollars in a weekend. Like I'm in. And I kind of said, I was like, you know what? I bet I could find 50 grand. Like I'd, I'd knock on doors. I'd call whoever up. Like I'm all in. And he goes, Bridger, what about a hundred thousand dollars? Could you find a hundred grand in four or five days till Saturday to do this? And I was like, yeah, actually I, th I think so. After a few minutes, think about it. And he goes, why? And I go, well, your deal, you know, you, you said I was, it's, it's almost guaranteed. I could buy the car. It's such a good deal. I could flip it for 300,000, make 200 grand spread. And he goes, aha, there it is. And I go, what do you mean? And he goes, you just said it. The deal was so good. And we mentioned, we talked about this a minute ago. It was so juicy. You felt it like it was the best deal you had found. You were obligated almost to go out and share this. And maybe, you know, maybe you split the profits with somebody 50, 50 or whatever it is, but you're going to get that deal done. When somebody approaches capital raising like that, you're, it's like you've tasted the best ice cream in town and you want to share it with everybody else. Like, dude, this ice cream is amazing. You guys got to come try it. You know, that's how you should approach capital raising. And that's when it becomes natural and normal to, to bring up capital raising. Now, more specifically, um, I, uh, you know, if I'm trying to go out and talk to people about money and stuff, it's, you know, you don't want to be bugging, you know, you don't want to bug somebody or call them up or whatever. Um, oftentimes what I will do if I'm at an event or meeting people, 
I ask people what they do. They always ask me, but I, I always tell somebody I run a fund or I'm, I do syndications or I'm doing deal flow in certain category. I do. I run a crypto fund. I'll tell people that. Oh, really? And people are interested in that. People always want to hear about funds, right? What's, what is a fund or what do you guys do? Oh, we buy properties. We actually most recently found this amazing deal. It's really cool. And I'll always, this is my one line that I love to use. I, I just say, Hey, you seem like you're, you know, person that loves good deals and good investments. If there's a lot of deals that I get across my desk that I can't do, or some of them I can do, if I get a good deal, can I just send it your way? Do you like to see good deals? Nine times out of 10, that person says, yeah, I'd love to see good deals. You know, who's, who's not going to say, I want to see good deals. Let me get your email. I'll put you on my list whenever I get a good deal, but sometimes we don't do them. Sometimes we do do them. But if I see a good one, I'll send it your way. Is that sound fair? Yeah, cool. Take their email down. And over the next two or three months, I start to send them. And because I do get a lot of deals through my email, I start to send them deals. And then if I get a good deal or my fund, I go, Hey, we got a really good deal. It's called my fund or it's called my offering. Can I present it to you? And all of a sudden they, we've built a relationship. I'm the deal guy. I find good deals for them. That's, that's one way that I'll convert, you know, try to convert somebody through a, um, that I meet just cold. Um, but anyways, there's a lot of ways to capital. We could talk about three hours for capital raising, but there's this, I, the mindset I think is most important. And secondly, there's a few little things to make it natural and normal. You don't want to just be like the annoying kid running around. Just yeah. there's a normal way to do it. And, um, anyways, we can talk about it for an hour. I'll, I'll cut there, but no, but I, I, I love that. Cause that's a really good point. Like people think that it's like hand out stuff. I've never once felt like that ever, ever. I've never been like, I'm annoying somebody for money or anything else like that. No. I really don't talk to anybody that doesn't want to talk about it. Why? Because I've set up a situation where that's why we're talking about it. Right. Just like you said that I had an email, I had something else like that. The conversation wasn't at a party tugging on their sleeve. Can I tell you about a great investment offering? <laughs> no, yeah. no. Yeah. Like that's never once happened. It's been because they've engaged in something that they said, I want to ask you, or I'd like to see a deal. I want to see something like that. And I say, oh, okay. Yeah, I'd be happy to talk to you about it, right? And I feel like if you change that framework, it changes everybody. Like, okay, like Bridger, if I could set you up in a room and every single 15 minutes, somebody's going to come in and just talk to you about your deal because they want a good deal. I think you, any normal person, right? Would be like, oh yeah, I could do that. Right. The idea that I think they think is this tugging on the shoulder. I have a wonderful investment opportunity, right? Which that's just not how it's done. So I think you hit it dead on. Um, all right, man, where, where in the world can people go to find out more about you, what you're doing? You got so many, so many awesome things going on and, and your information is just crucial. Yeah. So a few spots, just social media, Bridger Pennington uh, is my name. Also, we have a free course on funds. We put together a full free course, like 40 videos on funds specifically. It's our best content. We put it all in one spot. It's literally free. If you go to fundlaunch.com, so our company's called Fundlaunch, go on there. I think you just pop in your name and email and you hop in. The idea, just so you know, like, why are you giving away a free course? The idea is we, we want to, I want to educate the world on funds. We are trying to put this out to the masses. And then I hope that you love our content and you come through. And if you want to set up a fund one day, you can call me up and we do coaching and consulting. We have a whole high ticket, like really intensive thing, but the idea is to just teach people about funds. And so if you guys want to get a, a whole free course on funds, I, I think it's pretty good. 40 plus videos, downloadable stuff, all sorts of cool stuff. Go to fundlaunch.com 
or find me Bridger Pennington on like Instagram, send me a DM and we'll just send you the link. You guys can grab the free course. So easy way to come. If you guys want to come to fun launch live, we're doing it in uh, April, 2023. Um, you guys can come there. We're I think putting tickets on sale here pretty soon. So it should be fun. Anyways, those are a few spots to be a good time. And we'll put those all in the show notes, everybody. Uh, Hey man, seriously, thank you for your time. Really appreciate it. Wow, what an insightful episode with AJ and Bridger. I'm definitely going to be bookmarking this and uh, playing this back. And like I said in the beginning, raising capital is just not that simple. So I hope you guys get a lot of value out of this conversation and be able to apply it into your daily life and your investment strategy. We've had a recent review here on the podcast by Nate Loves to Read. He says, Super informative show. I love the podcast. I have learned so much about the self-storage space from this podcast and the other information that AJ puts out. Thanks for the great program. And we've got another one. I greatly appreciate this podcast. I'm trying to get into the business from nothing. And this is giving me great inspiration that it's possible. And guys, that's really what it's all about. That is our mission here at Self Storage Income is to provide you with the tools and the ability and maybe even some encouragement that you can do it. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. If you did, be sure to send it to your friends and family members that might benefit from it as well. Maybe you know somebody who's interested in self-storage or maybe knows nothing about self-storage and they would love to learn. Share this podcast with them. See if they like it. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, be sure just to scroll down and leave us a great review. We're always going through these on the podcast and listening to feedback and what our listeners are saying. So we really appreciate it, guys. And make sure you save this podcast or subscribe to it because we have some all-star guests coming up. We're going to be talking to a few members of our team, namely Brian, who's been on the podcast before, and Kaylee. They're going to be talking about acquisition and investor relations, respectively. But in the next episode, we're actually talking about the current self-storage market with the industry experts over at Forge Building Company. We're having them here in the studio talking about market demand, what developments are going on, and whether or not it's actually a good time to be in the self-storage industry. You don't want to miss it. Make sure you're subscribed, and we'll talk to you in the next episode.